there's two ways you can go about it in approval voting. It depends on how individuals use their vote again. Mm -hmm. If they use it to say, I could live with both, you know, Andrew Jones and Lewis Reed, and only one of them advances to that runoff, or they say that I believe Kara Spencer has a better shot against Andrew Jones than any of the other candidates. How will you wield your new approval voting powers? I'm Sarah Fenske, and we discuss the complicated new voting landscape mandated by Prop D on St. Louis on the Air. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. By April, St. Louis will have a new mayor. Mayor Lida Krusen's announcement that she would not seek re-election left a race with no incumbent and a much-changed set of rules. And since the presidential election has sucked all the oxygen out of the room, it feels like that March primary is coming up way too quickly now. Well, at least as of this week, we know who the candidates in it will be. And joining us today to discuss them and the path before them is St. Louis Public Radio reporter Rachel Lipman. Rachel, welcome. Hi, Sarah. It's lovely to be here. So the city election this spring, this is going to be the first one following the passage of Prop D. And that required for the first time that these mayoral candidates gather signatures. Who managed to get enough to earn a spot on the ballot? So a quick correction, it wasn't necessarily the first time that signatures were required for mayoral candidates. You've always needed to get signatures if you were an independent candidate, but it was the first time that those who had previously run in the major parties were not required to get signatures, or were required to get signatures, excuse me. And what this left us with was a field of four candidates, all but one of whom have run for mayor before. And those are Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed, who's run in 2013 and 2017, uh, Tashara Jones, the treasurer who ran in 2017. Uh, Andrew Jones, he's a utility executive, no relation to Tashara Jones, who ran in 2017 as the Republican candidate, and 20th Ward Alderwoman Kara Spencer. She's the newcomer to citywide politics. There were three candidates who were unable to meet that threshold, who had expressed interest in running but then were not able to get enough signatures. Mm -hmm. And that was the owner of a downtown night spot, Dana Kelly, who had also run citywide before, uh, the owner of Egg Restaurant in Midtown, Lasan Gilletti, and Keith Jefferson, who is the owner of a barber shop on the north side of St. Louis. Okay, so those three fell short. We now have four candidates remaining. Now, you mentioned Lewis Reed. He's the president of the Board of Aldermen. He blasted... Uh, uh, his rival candidate, Tashara Jones, last night on social media. He wrote, This new process has kept three minority candidates, an African-American female, an African-American male, and a Tunisian immigrant off of the ballot. That is not fair. That is not democracy. Now, Rachel, it feels to me like signature requirements are extremely common in other cities. And if you can't gather 1,200 signatures, you don't have a chance of winning the mayor's race. What am I missing here? I think you're missing that. Uh, I, I don't think you're missing anything, but I, I think this is Lewis Reed looking ahead to the election and thinking that perhaps he is going to be one of the two candidates who advanced to the runoff in April and trying to make this a race between him and uh, Treasurer Jones. And it is true that Proposition D, uh, Treasurer Jones supported Proposition D, but the thing is she missed the signature threshold the first time as well. She was mm -hmm. able to gather enough of them by when filing closed on Monday, but she was told that, you know, you need to go out and gather more signatures. You haven't met that 1,200 signature threshold. Um, 
it's it's uh, you know it, it's a consequence of Proposition D. Whether it's an unintended consequence or not is a completely different question. Uh, mm. There was not a lot of time between uh, the relatively speaking, between the passage of Proposition D in November and the close of the filing deadline on Monday. But going forward, like you said, if you can't collect 1,200 signatures, that's that's not a lot. It's certainly more than aldermen need to gather. Mm -hmm. But if you can't find 1,200 people who say, I will support your candidacy and you know sign this document legally saying that I do so, do you have the infrastructure to run a citywide campaign? Pain. You know, are you a viable candidate? And is it a benefit to democracy to put arguably non-viable candidates on the ballot? Yeah, this seems like a way of, of maybe making sure people can can pass a basic hurdle. But this is by far not the only change that Prop D is going to bring. Now, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but I think now that people are finally going to pay attention to the mayor's race, this is worth repeating. Rachel, what are some of the biggest changes that come with Prop D as you see it? Aside from the signature gathering to get on the ballot, uh, because uh, partisan primaries and partisan t uh, uh, titles were removed from these these offices, the Board of Aldermen, the Comptroller, and the, the Mayor's Office, is how these elections are going to be structured. Because the city of St. Louis is so heavily democratic, generally what would happen in the previous system is that the March primary would be the marquee race. And you've had multiple instances over the last two election cycles where voters, uh, where, excuse me, the winning candidate fell well short of a majority and won by an extremely, extremely narrow margin, in some cases less than a thousand votes or less than a percentage point. What Proposition D does is says in the March primary, uh, first of all, removes the partisan labels as we've already discussed, but it says in the March primary that you can vote for as many candidates as you want to, as mm -hmm. many candidates as you believe uh, you know, stand for your values or that you want to be mayor. And then the top two of those vote getters advance to a runoff in the April election. And it's designed to ensure, these uh, proponents of Proposition D argue that it is designed to ensure that whoever becomes a citywide elected official, like the mayor, the president of the Board of Aldermen, et cetera, has the support of a broad base of the city rather than just enough to get, you know, the 34, 35, 36 percent of the vote that's been required in the past to win. So these are some big changes. And frankly, it's going to be weird to go into the ballot box or wherever. <laughs> you know what I mean. It's going to be weird to go vote. And we're going to get to vote for multiple candidates if we so choose. You can check anybody that you approve of. It's called approval voting. Do you think you'll see candidates explicitly appeal to that, like you can vote for A and B? Or do you think it's going to be every man for himself in the way that a more typical primary would run? It depends, I think, on how candidates want to use the strategic voting and how people want to use strategic voting. There's two ways you can go about it in approval voting. Approval voting is intended to say that uh, ideas rise to the surface, that you are voting for as many people as you want, that you believe have the best ideas and want to have in that position. So while maybe you have a first choice candidate and a second choice candidate, there are people that you could live with and be elected. So they, you know, check most of your boxes, but maybe not all of them. The other way that you can look at approval voting, however, is to vote for the candidate that you like the best and then vote for the candidate that you think will do the 
that your candidate will do the best against. Mm -hmm. So let's say you really like candidate A and you think candidate D is the weakest candidate. So you could vote for candidate A and candidate D and that way you believe that candidate A, who's your top choice, has the better shot at being elected. What approval voting is intended to do is to say, well, I think A, B, and candidates A and candidates B, I could both live with and therefore I'm going to advance both of them to or vote for both of them. So I have somebody that I could live with in the, the general election. And it'll be interesting to see how those dynamics play out because it, uh, uh, Kara Spencer and Tashara Jones are very different candidates from Lewis Reed and Andrew Jones. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. And um, I don't know, it's going to just be interesting to see who separates into which camps. Um, now that we don't have a Democratic winner going in, do you think there's any chance that the Republican could even be a factor this time. Could he make it into this runoff? Again, that's a little bit difficult to say. It, you know, it, it, because it is the top two who advance, it depends on how individuals use their vote again. Mm-hmm. If they use it to say, I could live with both, you know, Andrew Jones and Lewis Reed, and only one of them advances to that runoff, or they say that I believe Kara Spencer has a better shot against Andrew Jones than any of the other candidates. I, I think they'll be more of a factor in the general election than maybe in the, the primary election in that initial election. But but we'll have to see. We just don't know yet. So a very interesting point was raised on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page. Dennis writes there, one thing to note, even if a candidate gets 50% plus one in March, they still don't win. They have to face the same opponent in April. Dennis believes that's a huge failure of Prop D. I think in the mayor's race, it's going to be hard to see that happening. We've got four candidates there trying to get 51% is going to be hard. But when it comes to some of these aldermanic races, it seems possible that we're going to have two people running against each other in March and we're going to see that exact same race in April. Does that feel weird, Rachel? It's, I think it's weird because this is the first time forward with approval voting. And I wonder if as this gains more traction and you get into 2023 when the even wards are up and you have more people sort of understanding what it looks like, then maybe you get into a situation where you have four or five individuals running for every seat and two candidates advance into the the general election. But the reason that you don't have a 50 plus one threshold is because with approval voting, you could have multiple candidates get 50 plus one. That's a great point there. Boy, this thing is so interesting. I just can't wait to see how this is going to play out. One other factor I'm very intrigued by, I noticed uh, a few days ago, the St. Louis Young Democrats have issued their request for people to, you know, sort of fill out their survey if they want to be endorsed. They've said they won't even consider a candidate who accepts donations from the St. Louis Police Officers Association. That's the union that represents cops in the city. Do you think the union's endorsement um, is going to be the kiss of death in this race? Or could this actually help somebody in a crowded field? I think it depends where candidates motive or excuse me, where supporters' motivations are coming from. There is always a fair amount of I don't particularly like this candidate, but I dislike other candidates more in terms of people coming out to vote. And that can be a very, very strong motivator, sometimes even stronger than I really, really, really like this candidate and I'm going to enthusiastically vote for them at all levels. It may serve as a signaling device to particular areas of the city. I'm thinking mostly South, Southwest St. Louis to say, you know, hey, this is our preferred candidate. It, 
it's, you know, it hasn't proven to be the kiss of death in the past. And I, I think just the dynamics of the city still make it so that it won't be like, oh my goodness, you have the backing of the St. Louis Police Officers Association. You aren't a great candidate for certain areas of the city. And again, the city parts of it have always been motivated by, I dislike this candidate the least, but I also can't stand the other candidate and will do anything possible to keep that person out of office. Hmm. If you had to pick one big issue that you think everybody's going to be forced to confront in this race, what would you say? I think it's going to be a strategy for crime. Hmm. We saw the report from the Teneo Group come out and say that the city of St. Louis has no comprehensive strategy, well-communicated strategy to fight violent crime, that it's a lot of firefighting mode where you're simply running to calls. You don't get a chance to really do uh, true community policing or you know, focus on, on efforts that really could put down some of the, this crime. And when you look at 2020 with 262 people being killed, the highest number and highest rate in 50 years, years, that's not a great look for the city. And you're that's going putting to it mildly. To, yeah. Putting it mildly, <laughs> of course. Yeah. You're going to have to be able to answer to what Taneo Group was saying uh, with what is your plan to combat this and, and how do you sell it to a vast majority or a majority of the city? You can't just sell it to a narrow swath of people. It's going to have to be a truly comprehensive plan that addresses law and order aspects of it and root crime aspects, root cause aspects of it as well. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if anybody can come up with a plan that will actually make a dent in that issue. And this whole race is going to be interesting. Rachel, I know we're going to have you back time and again. So thank you for joining us today for the first of many appearances to talk about the mayor's race. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Sarah. And that is St. Louis Public Radio reporter Rachel Lippman. This is St. Louis on the Air. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks.